This is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then use it as an excuse to argue about shit. My name's Brian Latendry. And I'm Anthony Johnston, and today we are talking about South of Heaven by Slayer. I feel like we're so spoiled. We, uh, you know, we started out Metallica, now we're going into Slayer. Uh, I was a little... I was a little skeptical about us doing the big four to start out, uh, you know, our shows, but this has been so much fun. I've been listening to so much Slayer this week, and uh, I'm excited to talk about this album because this was my pick. Yes, it was. Any excuse to uh, to listen to Slayer is not a bad one. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I guess we should start just by talking about um, when you think of the big four. I, I don't know that we said this last week, but in your mind, sort of, how does the big four go? in terms of your preferences for these four bands, for Metallica, Anthrax, Slayer, Megadeth? Well, hang on a second. Before we get to that, uh, something else that we neglected to mention last week uh, was that, of course, we have a website and we have a Patreon. So let me just tell people about those. Please do. The website is at thrashitoutpodcast.com and the Patreon is patreon.com slash thrashitout. We are not on a podcast network. We don't have sponsors and we're not taking ads. We want to be 100% listener supported so if you're enjoying the show if you think you're going to enjoy the show in weeks to come go to patreon.com slash thrash it out and pledge help us out support us with your support we can stay completely independent and keep thrashing yes so please please do Uh, also it really helps and i know everybody hates itunes but it really helps if you rate and review the show on itunes i know everybody hates it it's the man blah 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 but itunes is the best way for people to find podcasts you know 99% of people in the world go to iTunes to find podcasts so please if you're enjoying the show go there you don't necessarily have to write anything just give us a a star rating if you can write anything that's brilliant but that really really helps the show uh and of course you know tell your friends and stuff now there's one other thing that I a bit of follow-up actually from last week I because I'm worried that I'm going to get email angry email (laughs) from James Hetfield fans. I talked about um, James having to change his style of singing because from the Load albums on, Metallica started downtuning, which they hadn't done before. I got I misspoke. They had, but what they did on the, the early albums and what they then went back to on Death Magnetic was mostly drop D tuning, which is where your bottom string, your lowest string, is tuned down a notch to D rather than E. Right. Um, the idea, it's done so that uh, power chords are easy to play. You can play them with literally one finger, like a bar chord, whereas normally, obviously, otherwise you need two fingers. Um, almost every heavy metal band since Metallica tunes to drop D. So I misspoke because I don't, I kind of don't even think of drop D as down tuning because it's so right. common. Like everybody does it. It's just sort of it. standard operating procedure. Pretty much. If you're a metal band, you're probably playing in at least drop D. And these days you could be playing in C, B, even A for some Slipknot songs. That's what I think of as down tuning. And that's what they did for those later albums. They were down tuning to like C and B. Um, and that's the, the key in which James had to adjust his singing style. So I do know that they played in drop D. Please don't send me angry email about that. <laughs> well, and, and I'll, I'll jump in front of that you know bullet right now and just say that I am not a classically trained musician in any sense of the form, so I will probably say things that are not the correct uh, musical term for something <laughs> that we're talking about because my as diehard of a music fan as I am, I, I, I talk a lot about feel and I talk a lot about you know what it sounds like to me, but that's not always going to be the correct you know, technical term for it. So yeah, feel yeah. free to, to, you know, throw the hate mail my way for that. But uh, to go back to what you were saying about the Patreon and, you know, us wanting to sort of 
get support from the people that are that are enjoying the show. For me, this is like a garage band project. So we're sort of like that garage band that if you saw them play at you know the uh, abandoned warehouse last weekend and you enjoyed that and want to tell your friends about it and spread the word, that's that's sort of the the grassroots support that we're looking for for this show because a lot of the reason that we're doing this show is because it's so tied to our roots growing up as metal fans and 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 reliving some of that stuff and getting to revisit some of that stuff. So it it feels very organic to me that we're you know, sort of looking for the support of people who dig the thing that we're making. Yeah. It's the spirit of the underground. Absolutely. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. All right. So getting back to the big four, um, my ranking is, uh, has always been either Metallica or Anthrax, depending on the album, then Slayer, mm-hmm. then uh, Megadeth. Okay. Uh, whereas you, well, tell us what yours is. So mine would be Megadeth. Uh anthrax slayer metallica probably in in my most of the time in my big four and so I almost would, a complete reversal almost a complete reversal <laughs> and i will tell you that the the reason that slayer in my mind is held in higher regard than metallica is because of their live shows and i can talk about that as we sort of get in but i've seen them play live four times at least the four that i could remember i pulled the set list from there's a great site called uh, setlist.fm and you can actually pull the set list from different dates that they've played at different venues and stuff and so i did pull some of that but i will say of these four bands all of which i have seen live um and the only one i haven't seen live several times is uh, metallica slayer is far and away the best live band far and away wow and megadeth's my favorite band but slayer blows all of them away um, and oh. I have a specific example that I'll use when we sort of get into it. But yeah, so um, <laughs> right. Slayer to me was always the, they were the scariest of these four bands, right? So when you talk about like heavy metal and thrash metal, Slayer was like the band that took it to another level. Like you could like your Anthrax and your Megadeth and your Metallica and yep, they were awesome and they were heavy and they, you know, they were metal. But Slayer was on a different level. Slayer was evil. I mean, and not just in the, in the, lyrics that they wrote and things like that but the riffs that they wrote and the and the just the heaviness of their songs i always had them almost in a different category than all of those other three bands and so i always thought it was kind of cool that slayer was included as and thought of as part of the big four because i think slayer is heavier than all of those other three bands put together <laughs> and so uh it's kind of it, to me they were always like the um you know the outsider or the you know the the underdog of those other ones and they are pretty much the only one that hasn't significantly changed their sound over the course of their career well and that's why i often refer to slayer as like the motorhead of thrash metal or, or the acdc absolutely yeah I would. or put, acdc yep. i guess yeah yeah yep. because you don't you know the fans don't want them to change you 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 go to slayer you go to motorhead you go to acdc even kiss to an extent sure for a certain kind of music that's what you want and you you literally do want more of the same. And I am normally the first person to complain about that sort of thing, but there are certain bands that do it so well, like Metallica, um, Metallica sorry, like Motorhead and like Slayer, that you just want to hear more of it. You don't want them to ever not do that. Sure. 
they're they're the they're old reliable. You know, they're they're your security blanket when you when you think that music has just gone in the shitter and uh, <laughs> and you, and and everybody sucks nowadays and nobody does anything the same anymore and nobody cares about the way that music used to be. You can throw on any Slayer album, and I would say if you haven't checked it out, and we could put a link to this in the show notes, Slayer's new album Repentless comes out on September 11th of this year. And they have released two songs off of it so far, and the latest one was one called Repentless. It's the title track, and it's written as a tribute to Jeff Hanneman uh, by Kerry King, and it is Slayer. You put it on, and three seconds into the song, you're like, yep, this is Slayer. This has always been Slayer. This is, you know, so lest anyone think that they have slowed down or, or uh, you know, changed their sound dramatically in their old age, absolutely not. It is, it's already Slayer. You know what you're getting with this album. One of my first exposures to Slayer actually was on, I can't even remember what the show was, but there was some probably BBC Two thing in the 80s about rock music. Um, and they did a brief section on thrash and speed and, you know, I was going to say black metal, but black metal as a thing didn't really exist then. But, you know, bands that were verging towards that. And um there's there's two things that came out of that that sort of always stuck with me and that are relevant here one of them is that they showed they had an interview with tom aria uh-huh. and they showed them playing raining blood live or a clip of raining blood live and they really did thrash that was the first time i'd ever seen slayer at all let alone live and i was really really impressed by the the stage presence especially that aria had with his crazy like you know curly long hair yep and he really was going for it you know as soon as the uh proper riff kicks in on raining blood he's thrashing his head from side to side while playing that crazy scale on the bass and i was like what is this it was brilliant it is it is and they are still like that um when you see carrie king play live he literally plants both feet down like a tripod and then just proceeds to thrash for the entire show they they are very much like motorhead in that they come out, they kick your ass, they play straight ahead, and they just play song after song after song after song. And it is brutal, and it's beautiful at the same time. And and they are an impressive band. Because when you listen to their albums, and obviously we'll, we'll talk about this one in a minute, um, they create a wall of sound like no other. And they do that live. And I actually have some pictures from the show that I saw in November of 2014. It was like two days after Thanksgiving here in the States. Um, I saw them play with Exodus and Suicidal Tendencies. And Slayer was the headliner. And their stage presence, you'll feel it in the pictures that I'll send you. Just the the, the colors that they wash the stage in. And it's just, uh, there's nothing like seeing Slayer live. And that is one of the reasons that even if... Their music hasn't always been my favorite of the big four, and and I I think they're kind of hit and miss um, even within a lot of their albums. I will always respect what they bring to the table, and so uh, Th- that and- is exactly what I've got here. That is exactly what I'd written for my notes here. Like I Slayer are not my favorite band. I like them fine, mm-hmm. but as I said, they are third on my list of the big four. Um, you know, to be honest, I own more Testament than I do Slayer. Um, oh, oh, we we got to talk about Testament, but, but yes, we'll I know, I know, later. <laughs> but I love what Slayer stand for, and I love the impact that they had on metal and even on wider culture. Like a lot of people who know nothing about metal, they know they've heard of Slayer. They may not know who they are, they may not recognize their picture, but they have heard that there is this evil satanic metal band called Slayer that plays really heavy and fast and loud, and I. I do love Rain in Blood. Rain in Blood is a brilliant album. Um, 
but the rest of their oeuvre, you know, maybe not so much, <laughs> which is something, again, we'll get into and, shortly. And, you know, to me, like, in, in the hardcore heavy metal community of fans, the word Slayer means heavy metal. And when you go to a show, like, people don't say Slayer, they say Slayer! You know, <laughs> yeah, that's it, true. <laughs> and it was awesome because I have a friend who is not a heavy metal fan, but is a very good sport. And there have been two times that I have dragged him to Slayer shows that uh, one was the first his first introduction to heavy metal shows live, period. And um, that's the thing that you see. So we're walking. So this one that we saw in November was in Worcester, Massachusetts. And we're walking down the street in Worcester to this little venue called the Worcester Palladium, which is a, a longtime well-known metal venue that tons of bands. I've seen Anthrax there. I've seen Motorhead there. I've seen, uh, I think, Dio there. So we're walking down and there's a guy walking across the street and he looks at us and he says, Hey, what's up, man? And we're like, Hey, how's it going? You know, what's going on? And he's like, Oh, it's great, man. I'm just going to see fucking Slayer. <laughs> and of course we had never met that guy before, but it's there. There is an instant bond, instant brotherhood. Yes. Yep. With metal fans in general. And you, you obviously know that, but, but particularly with when you go to a Slayer show, you would think it's about, you would think all the negative things of the crowd that might go to a Slayer show. It's, it's, brotherhood and sisterhood like there's just such a great vibe of people who are just so excited to see the band and have listened to them for years and it's just uh there there is a, a joy to going to a slayer show that is like no other so so yeah like we both said obviously we we you can never under you can never overstate what they bring to the history of heavy metal and absolutely this yeah. album in particular uh south of heaven is such an interesting album because in in the earlier days of Slayer, like they were pretty influenced by by British heavy metal. So they had a lot of Judas Priest influence, and you'll see that because they do a cover of a Judas Priest song on this particular yep. album. Um, but of, obviously, Rain and Blood, which had come out uh, a couple of years prior to South of Heaven. South of Heaven was released in July of 1988. I was about 14 years old. I think it was two days before my 14th birthday that this album came out. So I was a freshman in high school when this album came out and i remember it blowing people away but i also remember there being people who were not happy with it because when you listen to rain and blood that entire album is very much the uh up-tempo straight ahead style that you know slayer is known for where any sort of changes in tempo were in breakdowns or in you know when they're when they're highlighting a certain riff or something like that yeah. in, in or those in the songs. middle eight or the bridge or something exactly yeah, not not the main riff. They yeah. kind of flipped the script with South of Heaven and they took the opposite approach where there there are definitely up-tempo songs in this album and there's plenty of points within songs that they go up-tempo, but a lot of this album was slowed down. It's more of a mid-tempo album, um, which a lot of people were not looking for coming off of Rain and Blood because that's considered to be probably Slayer's most popular album, maybe their best album. Even though this is actually their best-selling album, I think, isn't it? It's either it might be this one or Seasons in the Abyss. Uh, right, it's it's not Rain in Blood anyway, which is you know goes against that received wisdom of like, oh, Rain in Blood is their greatest album, their classic album. Well, sure, but it's not the one that sold them. A bit like uh, Lightning or Puppets for Metallica. Sure, that's what a lot of old school fans will tell you. That, those are the classic albums. That's their classic sound, their best albums, but they are not the biggest selling album. Right, and um, and so yeah, for this one, it was it was a change of pace. Now for me. Because we just talked about how Slayer may not have always been our favorite music of the Big Four, like I found this album to be a much more accessible album for me 
than some of their other stuff. I like songs on every single Slayer album. I like riffs on every single Slayer album. But my one of my problems with Slayer is that there's a tendency for some of those songs to blend together on some of their albums, especially like mid-album. If you kind of get into this murky water of songs kind of sounding the same. And so right. I, I like when they slow it down a little bit and they sort of highlight um, just the musicianship, particularly of Dave Lombardo, who is, um, that guy's a wizard when it comes to playing the drums. Like he, he, a lot of people will say Neil Peart, but to me, Dave Lombardo is, the, I think, the greatest drummer of all time. He's just... Well, and Rick Rubin made sure that everybody knew that on this album as well, oh, heck didn't yeah. he? Because, you know, the loudest thing in the mix by far is the drums. For sure. I mean, they were pretty, they were pretty loud on, you know, they're pretty forward in the mix on Raining Blood, but in this album, it's incredible when you, you know, if you listen to it, sort of sonically it's incredible how, just how loud the drums are and how forward all of the drum kit is in the mix you know not just the snare or the cymbals but the whole kit is right at the front of the mix and, and that's absolutely true and i think what separates slayer and dave lombardo from every other band on the planet though is because he's such a freaking master at the drums and he uses every piece of the drum kit and he's so <laughs> like um the lombardo uses every piece of the drum kit <laughs> he absolutely does but uh, like the way that he emphasizes a riff a chord the way that he completely controls tempo um the his symbol where like he dave lombardo is known mostly for his double bass style you know at the time there was not a lot of bands that were using uh, two bass drums. You know, they they yeah, would they would yeah. use a double pedal, or they would, you know, there was other tricks of the trade. And so he when when he first started that sonic assault of the double bass attack, that blew people away. And because he's so smooth with it, it is something that he's become known for. But I feel like the thing that people don't talk about enough is his cymbal work. And when you listen to this album, his cymbal work is just sick it's just absolutely sick the way that he um the way that he taps on the symbols to get it to ping in a certain way and it's just unbelievable like he's he's he uses again every piece of every symbol every piece of every tom every piece of every of, of the snare like just it's amazing what he's doing on any given song and because this mix has his drums so far out front you can just hear every nuance of his playing. Yeah. And even on the songs that are not great songs, that don't have a great riff or um, that aren't really doing something completely interesting, his drum work is never boring on any song ever that Slayer has written. Like, you can listen to any Slayer song and his drum work is just amazing. And right. it, even if the riff is a bit mediocre, the drums are still outstanding. He's like Michael Jordan in that he elevates all the players around him, right? Because he, his, his playing is so good that he takes a mediocre song and he makes it three three notches better because of his playing, because it's just absolutely incredible. And if you took his drums out, a lot of those songs would just feel pretty vanilla. Um, yeah. But but man, does he... He is insane. I, I can't get over it. Like It's tough for me to listen to it in the car because I just start losing my shit as I'm driving down the street because I... <laughs> you know, there's frequently I will scream out like... I can't believe that after he, you know, does a, like most people do, uh, you know, drum rolls on the snare. He's, he just does a drum roll across the whole kit on a regular basis. Like he, he like, just like, it's unbelievable. I could go on for days about Dave Lombardo. He is, he's such a good drummer. And when you listen to his albums, 
Not that, you know, Paul Bostaff is not great, who is playing with Slayer now and has played on several albums with them. Um, and not that, you know, the other drummers of the big four aren't fantastic, because I would put Charlie Bonante in my top five drummers of all time as well. Oh, totally. But yeah, Dave yeah. Lombardo is the real deal. He's Absolutely. the real the th- deal. The thing about Lombardo, which kind of ties into what you just said, he's a bit like he's a bit like Rick Meyer from My Dying Bride. He kind of his drum sound defined the genre. Like he almost as good as invented a new way of playing the drums. Yes. Yeah, that's that's overstating it a little bit, but you know what I mean? It's so important. The way he plays the drums was so integral to Slayer's sound that, as you say, you just can't imagine the band without it. And if they hadn't had him. I mean, it's a perfect storm. Of course, you need all the elements put together. But, you know, a lot of people dismiss drums and you know, I, I never would. And Lombardo especially is one of those things where you cannot remove Lombardo from Slayer, right. from those early albums, and imagine that they would have had anywhere near the kind of success that they did because the sound would have been so different. Well, and we just talked about, you know, last week, uh, St. Anger, right? So, and the drum... Uh, the, the approach to drums on that particular album and how having the drums be such a big part of the mix and the way that Lars's drums sound uh, overpowered and overshadowed and took away from some of the songs on that album. The drums are right up front here on this album, but it, there's not a song on the album that I feel like the drums take away from any of those songs. They, he, in, in many cases, he's elevating a mediocre song to... Yeah, they complement. Yes, yeah. And, and the way that he emphasizes a riff or a chord or something that just again he he's he's doing so much to give that punch to particular parts of a song that any whether you're a thrash fan or not if you're a drummer you should listen to how what he's doing on all of these songs because you know it's a, a lot of times if you just took a step back it would just sound like he's he's just doing fills in between every you know, every chance he gets, he's doing a fill. He's doing something like that, but it, it he's doing so much more than that on every song. It's just, uh, it's just beautiful. His drums are just crazy. All right. So here's the thing that may anger you. <laughs> I realized as I was listening to this album over and because again, Raining Blood is my favorite Slayer album. Uh, you know, for me, that stands head and shoulders above all other albums, including this one. Okay. And I, but so I hadn't listened to South of Heaven in a while and certainly nowhere near as much as I have what, you know, recently the last few days preparing for this show. And as I was listening, I realized why I prefer Raining Blood to this. I mean, there are many reasons, but one of the big reasons, this sounds like a Metallica album. Okay. I will hear that from you, sir. (laughs) I mean, not, not literally, obviously, because you know, Tom Murray's voice and Lobato's drumming, but can't you, can't you just imagine the music on a lot of this album coming from Metallica circa Ride the Lightning? Like Raining Blood literally sounds like nothing else, like no other band. Correct. But this album, if, you know, replace Tom Aria with James, and I really wouldn't have be shocked to, you know, to hear this sort of stuff coming off of Ride the Lightning or even Master of Puppets. I see it makes me think a little bit. It's funny you mentioned that, and I don't disagree with that completely. I uh, would equate it more to the sound of Kill 'em All and a song like Jump in the Fire gives uh, is a song like that opening riff to jump in the fire to me right yeah, yeah is yeah. something that i i could hear, hear pieces of on this one and so i don't think you're wrong i think by slowing their sound down in many ways they're sort of coming back to the pack 
of what the other three bands were doing. Whereas mm-hmm. when they're playing at their most fast and furious, they are far and away different from all of those other bands. I think that probably goes somewhere to explaining why this album sold more than Rain in Blood as well. Let's be honest, you know, most metal fans are not fans of the mega, mega fast uh, stuff that they were doing on Rain in Blood, you know, and if you want to hit that mainstream, you probably do have to slow down. It's just, you know, for, for fans like us, uh, or certainly like me, yeah, that's kind of, it's one of the reasons that I prefer Rain to this is that it just, it does sound unique, whereas this sounds more like the other bands of the big four. Well, and I think casual Slayer fans, if there is such a thing, uh, would tell you that they don't necessarily like Slayer songs overall, but there is a piece of every Slayer song where, you know, the break or a particular riff that they are waiting for in every Slayer song. And when they hit that piece, they're like, man, that sounds like nothing else sounds, but the rest of it, they could take or leave. And so, yeah, yeah, you may be right to to go back to the accessibility thing. I do feel like this is an album, and I would say the same of Seasons in the Abyss. Their 1991 that that came out around the time of the Clash of the Titans tour when they were really grouped together with um, with Anthrax and Megadeth. That was another album that was very accessible to people. So I think you see these ebbs and flows with Slayer, where they're not changing their sound dramatically, but when they slow things down a bit, it's an album that in some cases will find a wider audience because it is a little bit more accessible to fans of the other three that may yeah, not be exactly, into that yeah. hardcore slayer for sure exactly uh one thing i will say talking about metallica after doing st anger last time hurrah for sure albums <laughs> oh i'm so <laughs> I mean, glad raining blood that. is raining blood is famously like what 32 minutes long or something it's it's insanely short so this and even album this is, is only like 36, 36 and change yep. yeah so yeah. It, so which allows you to listen to it twice full through without uh, in about the same time it takes you to listen to St. Anger. So, right. <laughs> um, and that's the other thing, too, is the, the great thing about Slayer is that if you don't like this song, just wait two minutes. Right. There's another one coming around, dude. It's and like the English weather. Yeah, exactly. if you don't like the weather, just wait a couple of minutes. And if you don't like the one after it, well, you just got to wait two and a half more minutes. And and I have always appreciated that about Slayer is they they hit hard. They don't mess around. No, they hit hard and they don't overstay their welcome. And again, you mentioned Motorhead that, you know, they, and and ACDC we just talked about. There is a, there is a formula to Slayer songs where I think the longest song in the album is probably the finisher, which is um, Spill the Blood, which I think is four minutes and 50 seconds. So there might be one longer than that on there, but, but their long songs are five minutes long. Their average songs are three. These so- these songs are as long as they need to be exactly. and no longer. Correct. And there's a lot of bands that could learn from that, frankly. Oh, so many <laughs> bands that could learn from that, including the one that we talked about last week. So, you know, it, it, again, there's an efficiency to what they do. There's, effic- there's an efficiency to everything that they do. And, you know, it, it, and sometimes that, most of the time that helps them. The, the part where I feel like has always been somewhat of a weak point for Slayer is in their soloing because I don't feel like uh, Jeff Hanneman or Kerry King is a very good soloist. Now, ironically, they have a guy in the band now in Gary Holt, who is the you know the main man from Exodus, who has been playing guitar for them, who is a fantastic soloist. So it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm interested to see with the new album how much they let him All right. sort of rip. Um, yeah, yeah. But with a Slayer solo, whereas like with a Megadeth solo, I'm drinking it in. With a Metallica solo... Uh, depending on what album it is, I, I would be uh, enjoying that. Uh, Slayer has never, in my mind, been a great solo, a, a great group for solos. Although, between, 
I like how they finish solos. Like to to go into the first song of South of Heaven, which is of course the title track, which is actually the longest song on the album. By the way, I just looked it up. South of Heaven is eight seconds longer than Spill the Blood, but they are the only two tracks that are longer than four minutes and five seconds. Right. Every other track is under four minutes and five seconds. And this song sets the stage for what you can expect from this album. So right away, you're getting a slower intro. up it's got that heavy oppressive just crunch to it that reminds you that you're still listening to slayer and it to me it it is absolutely one of my favorite top five slayer songs of all time south of heaven like that that opening riff it's just so evil and it's so slayer and then when you have the cymbals start kicking in from you know from lombardo and then it builds to them picking up the tempo just a little bit and that rolling riff that they have it, it's just freaking fantastic and in the middle of the song after the solo the solo is nothing to write home about but when he hits the whammy bar at the end of the solo and they're playing you know the riffs over the top of it and the tempo again picks up so freaking good like there i don't think we talked about this before but for me um good music raises the hairs on the back of my neck it gives me it gives you the chills you know there's a chill that runs through you when you hear this amazing piece of music and and for metal like that's how i know it it's good that when i get that effect and even to this day after hearing south of heaven probably a thousand times at least every time the end of that solo gives me the chills every time see i i disagree with you almost completely about this track um, I love the intro. I do love the intro and the build-up. Uh, I think, yeah, that dun, 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 brilliant intro, great riff. It builds beautifully. I could live without Tom's weird, clean voice because that just that always sounds odd to me. Okay, <laughs> it never stops sounding strange, you know. Um, but the track never really gets going after that for me. Like I keep expecting it to suddenly speed up, uh, but it's for an opening track it's disappointingly slow and it doesn't after the intro, I don't never feel like it kind of has that impact. And I know they're deliberately slowed down for this album. And I I can, as I said, I can respect, you know, sort of trying new things and stuff and not wanting to do the same thing over and over. But if you're going to do that, I think you just need a more interesting riff. And the main riff on this track to me just isn't, it's a bit disappointing. It's just not that interesting. But I think you hit on the two types of listeners of this album, right? So, if you are, you just mentioned Rain and Blood is your favorite Slayer album. So you're coming off of Rain and Blood, and you're hoping that they're going to build on that and go forward, right? So yeah, you yeah. hear South of Heaven as the opener, and as you just said, you're waiting for the part where the song goes mental. 
you know you're waiting for (laughs) (laughs) you're waiting for when the song just explodes and it doesn't happen and it never does and you're like whoa 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 but i don't feel like it simmers either like i can you know i can get behind a track that never quite has that release but just has that sort of maintains that simmering tension but i just feel like after the intro the intro's got that definitely but after the intro i just feel like it loses it i wonder if I'm trying to think of when I completely fell in love with this song. I, I will say this about South of Heaven. They play this song live at every show that they do. Oh, really? Right. And so, sometimes it's the opener. Um, a lot of times it's an encore. And when you hear this song played live, it will change the way that you perceive this song forever because when they're playing that, dun, 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 the crowd loses their mind. They just freaking lose their <laughs> right. mind. So there is this immediate like rising up of, I can't fucking believe they're playing this song right now. Like people just lose their mind at the beginning of that song. And then when it <laughs> kicks in and it gets a little heavier, it's just, it's one of those things where I do feel like certain songs, when you experience them live, you then look at them in a way that you've never looked at them before. You know, songs that are sort of mediocre to you or whatever. But I, so we disagree on South of Heaven. South of Heaven for me is uh, one of my favorite. Um, songs and again i think highlights not only what you can expect from this album but also uh dave lombardo's drums being right up front and really just uh there's so many things going on in that song with the drums even in a slower tempo song he's just really he controls that in a way that i think Lars Ulrich would like to think that he controls rhythm in his band (laughs) but dave lombardo is doing that and the thing about dave lombardo is it feels like it's effortless it feels like yeah, he's yeah. not even trying to do that. And that's what always blew me away about Lombardo is it's not even, he's just doing it. And he's not getting a lot of help from Tom Araya because the bass lines in Slayer are pretty straightforward. Um, yeah, they're yeah. they're not doing, you know, he, he's not doing, because he has to sing as well. So, I, I mean, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it, no, it, I've done that. I, I did front of band for a short while where I was bassist and vocalist and unless you are some kind of virtuoso and I am definitely no virtuoso. Yeah. You do have to keep it pretty simple. Right. So you're just, you're just kind of trying to hold things down and, and you know, and I think especially when you're talking about Dave Lombardo as a bass player, you just have to, you have to give a consistent rhythm so that Dave can play off of that and everybody else can sort of feed off of that. So, um, so inside the heaven, it is, it's definitely a statement of intent. There's no question about that. It does set the tone. Yeah, it does set the tone for the rest of the album, and in that it succeeds, absolutely. But now, I feel um, like Silent Scream... Well, hang on, hang on. But one of the... I was just going to say, because you mentioned Lombardo's drums again, and one of the things it brings home right from the start, again, kind of as a statement of intent, is the improved production qualities. Because the production on this album, just the, the sound is so much better, clearer than Rain in Blood. And more powerful as well. The guitars sound more powerful. It's not just clean. It does have more power. It was also uh, in an era of Rick Rubin's career where I think he was doing his best work. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Uh, Rick Rubin, who obviously Def Jam Records, you know, worked with Beastie Boys, Metallica, Run DMC, Public Enemy, um, in his later years, and this is something that you see with Metallica and their Death Magnetic album, there is something called the loudness war, which basically was a time where producers were trying to get albums, especially metal albums, to sound as loud as possible. And in doing that, they would compress them in order to make them sound louder. And Rick Rubin- Well, and specifically, it was to make them sound loud on crap stereo systems yes. and over, and on the radio. Yep. And so that a lot of fans, rightfully so, 
hate that because it takes it just it just compromises the sound so much when when you do that and yeah. he was a a primary offender of that and so that luckily was not the case back in this point of his career because he i mean if you go look at Rick Rubin's you know discography in terms of who he's produced and what he's produced some of the greatest albums of all time across different genres he's produced and this was one of them um but yeah so Rick Rubin producing this album I, the production value is uh, i think great on it um, Can I say, by the way, how much I always loved the fact that Slayer were on Def Jam Records? Oh, me too, right? So, I mean, this goes to what we talked about before. You know, you've got Combat Records, you've got Capital, you've got all those other ones. You've got the bands that you, you've got the labels that you would expect to see metal bands on. And then you've got the, you know, the odd one out over here, Slayer, over on Def Jam. Arguably the heaviest band in the world yep. at, the, at their peak yep. on a hip hop label. It's brilliant. Yep. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, but it does, th this highlights something that I have often said, and I suspect I will often say on this show, which is that good songwriting with bad production will always win out over bad songs with good production. Now those are extremes and obviously there's uh -huh. a lot of gray area in between, but as a general rule of thumb, I will always rather listen to good songs that sound a bit muddy and where you can't hear the vocals properly and maybe the cymbals are really low in the mix, that sort of thing, over something that is absolutely crystal clear, but the songs are just dull. Yeah, and I think what we found over recent years, too, is crystal clear is not always a good thing. And um, It does kind of expose the musicianship, it must be said. <laughs> sure, and certain, and certain genres of music sound better in a more raw type of feel. The, the question is, yes. how does the producer get that raw feel and the engineer get that raw feel without um, making it sound too muddy or, or making it, you know... Uh, That's what Andy Wallace was such a genius at in the uh, sort of early to mid-90s. He was superb at taking bands that were great live and then making their studio records sound like their live gigs. And I'm sure we will come to some Andy Wallace records through the course of the show so let's yep. not diverge on that too much but yeah it, that is that is tricky you know not many producers can pull it off as you say get a kind of raw sound that doesn't also sound horribly muddy that is tricky so you come out of south of heaven and south of heaven ends with sort of the the lingering sort of symbols and you know uh and, and feedback and stuff like that and then in the album you know, obviously with MP3s and now you, you hear a pause between them, but in the <laughs> yeah. album, it goes right into Silent Scream. That song is almost like them saying to you, hey, hey, don't worry. It's not all like South of Heaven. If you didn't like the, the down tempo, if you didn't like us really slowing things down, here we're, we're still Slayer. Here we go. Here's your, your up-tempo song. And so Silent Scream just sort of hits back. And indeed, this track is musically is much more what I, what I expect from Slayer, yeah. But it's not just the speed. It is also the, the riff, the character and variety in the riff there's a, a lot more variety in it and it's just more interesting to me than the riff in, say, South of Heaven. Um, and 
one of the things I noticed about this track, now I, because as I say, I'm not a massive Slayer fan, so I never really looked into this. I, I knew that, you know, the three of them would contribute different bits to different songs and, you know, would co-write some and then write some solo and what have you. But I never really sort of looked at that side of it until uh, listening to this in preparation for the show. And I hadn't realised that on Raining Blood, uh, Hanneman and King, well, Han- Jeff Hanneman was obviously, clearly in these early albums, the, the majority songwriter. And I think pretty much through his time with the band, he was, which is why people are so sort of... Uh, uh, interested right, in what the new albums now, would be like, yeah. you know. Yeah. He it was clear that he wrote most of the music, but on Raining Blood, Kerry King is either credited or at least co-credited on five tracks, like fully half of the album. On this album, he only gets three and they're all co-credits, I think. Yeah. Um and Silent Scream is one of them. And I don't know, I'm kind of I you know, I I think you can see where I'm going with this. I'm getting a feel that like when when they co-wrote together they were better than when, as a as a rule of thumb, than when Hanneman was writing music on his own. And I'm not really sure what that says about the relationship between them. I just find it really interesting because I had no idea before. Well, there's an interesting fact about this album that Hanneman said of this album, it is the only Slayer album that the band actually discussed prior to recording it. So from from huh. what he was saying, that their their way of record, recording was that they would they would get in the studio and they would kind of. Uh, you know, whatever Hanneman had already written, they would bring to the table and stuff like that. But it sounds like more discussion went into this particular album. I'm guessing because they were slowing things down a bit and they were yeah. sort of uh, being a, a little bit, I guess you could say, experimental compared to their earlier sound. Um, oh, for Slayer, it's definitely experimental. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. For Within Slayer. the context of Slayer. <laughs> uh, I love, in Silent Scream, I love the way the cymbals chase, uh, you know, the chugging right in the beginning of the song as it's building up. I, I just, again, his uh, Lombardo cymbal work just stands out to me constantly in this album and the way that he, yeah. sometimes he leads, sometimes he follows, um, sometimes he, he, you know, hits the crash to, to drive home a riff and it's just like, he, he hits the pedal and pulls off the pedal it's just like it's amazing. So again, that's a that's a pretty Slayer song, I would say. Silent Scream is probably more what people would expect. And then you get into Live Undead, which again sort of slows things down a little bit. With the drums, he could have made that a faster riff, but it's not. It's more of this mid-tempo, sort of methodical. Um, and this is one where I feel like Dave's drums carry the song. There's some great rolls and some great you know, um, fills on the toms and stuff like that that he does. And of course, the, the double bass. So it's a song where it's not doing anything super special, but the combination of that methodical guitar part and then his sort of drum fills, I think, carry this song methodical is a really interesting way of describing the guitar on this because i just don't have a lot to say about this track it's it's fine i guess 
but it does it does nothing to ring my bell uh, my funeral bell <laughs> okay it, it's uh there's just nothing interesting about it it's, it's not offensive it's like you know it's fine and i'll listen to it but there's you know at no point would i request you know i wouldn't be shouting play live undead at a gig you know sure <laughs> well how about behind the crooked cross Yeah, that's definitely more interesting to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I prefer that to Live and Dead. Yeah, great the, rhythm, great riff, uh, great, uh, great build up with the snare drum. And and this is an, a song where I, where I sort of made a note to myself that this is how a snare drum's supposed to sound. You know, you know, like this is <laughs> this is it's got that snap to it. And even again with Lombardo, like there's times where he is really hitting that snare drum. And then there's times where he's laying off of it a little bit, and just the, how he gets the different sounds out of the snare is is really amazing. But there's some great snare drum work on on this song, and the riff is more interesting too than Live Undead for sure. Yeah, what it's the guitar work on this is really so much more interesting than Live Undead. You've got that that uh, downward scale with the hanging notes in the chorus, yep. kind of like you know, off. I love that. Uh, I mean, that has been imitated by so many bands since yep. as well. That style and that timing is just, you find, you hear that everywhere now. It's practically a cliche. And it's clear that, you know, this is it. Because this wasn't on Rain in Blood. You know, this is where it was invented. Um, and it's got really good dynamics, this song as well. And dynamics, as I've said before, is a big thing for me in metal music. Uh, you've got like the the regular verse. You've got double time bridges with solos. You've got that kind of stutter after yep. the bridge yep. uh, and even that like the silent four bars the dead stop in the middle with just lombardo going that, that is good stuff and again imitated to death and they do that a lot with their solos you know and, and slayer's really good for that they do those those hard stops and then they kick into a crazy solo and the way that hanneman and carrie king play solos is it's immediately just like somebody's has 15 fingers and they're just like screaming out from the <laughs> yeah the, there's no build-up is it it just goes from nothing to <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah it, that's a great way of saying it. there is no build-up in their solos like it's not like uh you know i listen to a lot of 80s hair metal and there's a lot of sort of emoting in those solos where they're trying to you know convey a certain mood it's just chaos with a slayer solo they just yeah. want you to like <laughs> like it, it's literally like you got thrown into a pool of fire and and that's you know that's the sound. Play as many making. notes as you can, as fast as you can. Oh, oh, by the way, like bend loads of strings and slam the whammy bar while you're doing it. Exactly, <laughs> it's just nuts. It, it reminds <laughs> me sometimes of like what you do. What like when I got a guitar when I was 14 years old and I had no idea how to play it. That's what I did. You know, <laughs> you just try to play a guitar solo, but you have no idea what you're doing. So you're just sort of play, you know hitting these different strings and 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 uh, and they just go crazy. But it fits. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, again, they, they practically invented that style of soloing. It's, yes. Uh, this is why you've got to give Slayer respect. Even if like me, you know, you're not their biggest fan, you've got to respect them and they've, you've got to give them that place in the big four. They totally deserve it because so many things that they invented or at least popularized 
are now standard and, like I said, almost cliches within metal. Sure. And I would also say that uh, even though we were kind of uh, you know poking fun a little bit at the soloing of Hanneman and King, when you listen to other bands that have tried to imitate that style and are ten oh, yeah, times yeah. shittier it's not easy at it, to pull you off. realize yeah, yeah. how good these guys actually are. This is this is a style that they were going for. You know, I joke that it's like when you pick up your first guitar and play, but but they are they are consciously doing this, and it's not something that's easily imitated. And and even though um, I'm a fan of solos, and these two guys are not my favorite soloists, I would say that both of them are better than Dan Spitz of Anthrax. Um, and had more interesting solos over there. Oh, wow, over their time. controversial. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we're going to get to. I don't. I don't know if we'll get to that. Depends on which Anthrax album you pick as we as we go ahead. That's true. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a conscious style. Obviously, it's not. It's not that they're not skilled players because to play any of the stuff that Slayer saying, you know, playing, you have to be superhuman. Oh sure. Yeah. 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 Mandatory suicide. Maybe my favorite Slayer song of all time. Really? Yep. Wow. Go on. Go on. You first. Go on. The opening riff is just, like if I had to pick, if someone said, you know, what makes a Slayer riff a Slayer riff? To me, like it is the 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 sound that they get out of their guitars, you know, between the pickups and the amps and all that kind of stuff, the sound that they have crafted for Slayer does not sound like any other band ever. And the way they play individual notes and the and the way that they, you know, uh, so in this song, this opening to me just sounds like despair. Like it, it's just so Slayer to me, the, the opening of the song. And then the, you know, the basic rhythm is nothing special, but it works so good with this song. And just, you know, the idea of being on the battlefield and there being sort of death all around you and all this kind of stuff. And the way at the end of the song where Tom Araya, it's the spoken word piece as you are hearing bombs go off in the background. And you're also hearing these god-awful, you know, just uh, pick scratches and, and stuff with the guitars. They're just getting these crazy songs, you know, sounds out of the guitars that just add to this, you know, st- this feeling of like being on the battlefield, being surrounded by death and, and knowing that you're going to die and, and all this kind of stuff. Like the, to me, this is, this is the type of despair that Slayer likes to write about. And it just works on every single level for me. I love the, the ring of the symbols. Uh, I love the, the sort of, again, that, that ending repeating of the riff with the explosions in the background. To me, it's just like, it's such a, it just invokes something within me as I listen to it. Like it's just so dark, and it to, in that way, to me, is like a perfect example of the stuff that Slayer likes to tackle, both uh, you know lyrically and from a musical standpoint. And this is another song um, of the of this album. There are two songs that Slayer plays at every single show: "Mandatory Suicide" and "South of Heaven." And so I've seen this song played live as well, and it's another song where people just lose their shit when 
this uh, opening riff you know comes out um so it just gets me man that that i can understand because i do like this song it has it has got a good the riff is good it's as you say it's not the most technical riff in the world but it's a, it's a good musically it's a good riff it's got a good tempo and the thing about the the tempo and the rhythm of this track is it makes you want to bang your head and ridiculously for a slayer album there's not actually a lot of tracks on this album that make me want to bang my head you know but this one really does it's got that great rhythm you just want to stand there dun, dun, you know I, I can i can see why a live crowd would really get into it because it's just it's got that down to an absolute t well and you and when you talk about like the 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 sort of um the stuff that slayer likes to tackle like it's just so there is this sense to that riff as it's repeating at the end that there there's no way out that this is just, yeah. it's just crushing you into the ground like it's just you, you so to me like there's a lot of times in a slayer song where the stuff that they're talking about and singing about is so ridiculous and and you know meant for shock value and stuff like that and then there are other times where they actually tackle an interesting subject well this one's about world war one I, I think isn't it i believe it is yeah i think hanneman said this was about the trenches yeah Right, and a soldier being on the battlefield, and just like he, at one point, he says, uh, "Blood's cheap; it's everywhere." And you know, just the again, lyrically and musically, it's just such a grinding song, which is kind of what you know in those battles was the case. It was a meat grinder, you know, and that and yeah. this is a oh, song totally, that makes yeah. you feel like you know this. Here's this soldier; it's mandatory suicide as soon as you sign up. What I what I also love about this talking about uh, dynamics again, is you've got that regular beat that sort of just really regular, good headbanging beat in the main part of the song. But then in the chorus, it changes step a little bit. And combined with Tom's vocals, which are slightly off rhythm, you've got yep. a dun, 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 you know, the downward, dun, 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 and it's slightly off, slightly off. And it kind of throws you right. a little. Yes, and the drums are augmenting that too. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've got, it, it contrasts really well with the regular tempo and rhythm of the main song, and then it just throws you a little bit for the chorus, and then, you know, back into it again. Yes, and again, as they get into that, um, right before they get into the riff that they just repeat until the end of the song, there's just a great drum fill, you know, as he just builds right yeah. into that riff. Oh, it's so good. So I love, love, love Mandatory Suicide. Now, sadly Wait, for now, me, hang on, hang on. Oh, go ahead. This is in the olden days <laughs> when this would have been his original release back in 88. This would have been on vinyl. This would have been the end of side one, which I'm certain is why it ends as it does, as you said, with that, the repeated riff, the spoken word, and it all kind of like grinding away towards the end because this would have been the end of side one of the album. Well, that's a fantastic point and in a very interesting one. And we don't talk enough about that. The fact that um, both with you know vinyl and with cassettes, there was two sides to the album. So there was a yeah. a very yeah. deliberate um, flow to an album, and you know the opener and the closer of each side. Yeah, and placement and arrangement of the tracks. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, however, right. Th- this is why I laughed when you said this was your favorite Slayer track of all time because this this track. Now, remember, remember I said I do like it, but this track is exhibit A of what I was talking about with the Metallica sound-alike stuff. I mean, this this song literally sounds like Ride the Lightning to me. Uh, that's not a bad thing. I like Ride the Lightning. I think this is a good song, but it's like it does not sound like Slayer to me. Well, it's interesting <laughs> that you say that because Ride the Lightning is arguably my favorite Metallica album. So, 
Right, um, right. Maybe yeah. that speaks to why I, I really like this song. But yeah, so, and, and clearly, as we're seeing here, some of my favorite Slayer songs are the more slow tempo songs that they've yeah. uh, put out. So, so that definitely fits the bill in terms of my taste. Now, also worth mentioning, another one that Kerry King co wrote. Oh, interesting. Mm. Um, so now we get so into three songs. You flip the album. Yeah. You flip and- the vinyl. You start playing side two and you think, what's wrong with my stereo? Yeah. And that's, I'm, it's interesting that you say that. So the, the whole album flip thing is throwing me because it, it, I, what I was going to say prior to you even mentioning that was, I feel like after Mandatory Suicide, so I would say for me, the first five songs on this album, I like all of them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like every single one of them. I think it's a strong first five punctuated by Mandatory Suicide, which so you've bookended the front half of this album with two of my favorite Slayer songs, South of Heaven, Mandatory Suicide. Then we get into Ghosts of War, Read Between the Lies, and Cleanse the Soul, all three of which I think are mediocre at best. And so there's this big drop-off of, I just came out of Mandatory Suicide, and then I've got three songs that in some ways the riffs sound too similar to me. Um, Ah. They're not doing a lot of interesting stuff. And Cleanse the Soul is really the low point of this album. And Carrie King, uh, I, re- I was reading about what they thought about this album. First of all, not the band's favorite album. So that fits in with what you uh, were talking about, you know, Anthony, in terms of you know, how you feel about this album. It's certainly not the band's favorite album. They, they appreciate it more in later years, but they, it was not their favorite album when they put it out. Um, Cleanse the Soul is a riff that Carrie King wrote, and he basically said in an interview, it's effing horrible. So he <laughs> he was not happy going back and, and looking at that. He basically just kind of said that song is shit. Um, and so you're three songs into the back of this album, and you hit Cleanse the Soul, and that's the low point of the album. So you're in danger here of having the second side just be a flat-out full disappointment. Wow. Okay, so... So yeah, Ghosts of War, you, like I say, back in the old days, you would have turned the cassette or turned the album. You put the needle down or, you know, hit play on the cassette recorder. Kids, ask your parents. And it's like, if, you would think like, hang on a second, what's wrong with my stereo? Because the first, what, 16 bars or something sound like it's being played in the house next door. I love yes. that. I love that it, that trickery of like, well, hang on a second, because you don't, when you listen to it as MP3s or something, or even on a CD, you don't really, you know what they're doing because nothing's changed. So you know that this has to be part of the track. But when it was released, when everything was came in two sides, I can really believe people would have turned it over, put the needle down and gone, wait a second, what's wrong with my speakers? And I love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is a, that is a trick that totally throws you. And even now, when I listened to it again the first couple of times, I was like, wait a second. And then, of course, it kicks in and punches you right in the face. So, you know, it, it, 
you don't have too much time to to question whether or not there's something wrong with your stereo. But uh, but yeah, that is that in and of itself is an interesting thing that Ghosts of War does. Maybe the most interesting thing that Ghosts of War does. Well, but I disagree. I really like this track. This okay. is the first. This is the first track on this album that truly sounds like quote unquote proper Slayer to me. If this had been on Rain in Blood, I wouldn't have blinked. It okay. totally would fit on that album. Um, so yeah, again, I think we're seeing you know, sort of our different tastes come out here because to me, this is a really interesting track. Um, just a good. Yeah, just a really good Slayer track. Uh, and this is the final track where King is co-credited as well. Oh, interesting. Uh, so again, I am sensing a pattern developing here. <laughs> so what now, what did you think of Read Between the Lies and uh, Cleanse the Soul? It's just, it's just there. Um, it's a bit like uh, Live Undead. It's just kind of, it's just there and, you know, whatever. If it wasn't there, I wouldn't miss it. I would never request it. It's fine. Um, cleanse the Soul. I love the intro. I love those power chords and, and it does get into a fairly good riff and Lombardo again, really, you know, displays prowess on this track. But other than that, I don't really have a lot to say about it. Yeah. So then we get into dissident aggressor, which of course is a Judas priest cover song from the sin after sin album. And I freaking love their cover of this song. I went back and listened to the the priest song a couple times last night in getting ready for us recording this today. And it's very cool what they did differently to first of all, if you haven't heard Dissident Aggressor from Judas Priest, you need to go back and listen to that because that shit is heavy <laughs> for nineteen seventy seven, I believe it was. That is some heavy uh, around that, ass yeah, yeah. metal. You're probably thinking like, oh, Slayer totally dressed it up for their album because they're Slayer and they made it heavier. Nope. This song is super heavy 
all the way back then. And the difference here is when you have, uh, you know, Tom Araya screaming "fight," and then there's a, and then you know, there's a a note in the background, a screaming note in the background. Um, in the song from Judas Priest, it's the other members of the band that are saying "fight," and then Robert Halford is going "ah," you know, so he's he's singing that <laughs> <As> he <does. laughs> note. Yeah, so he's singing that note in the background as you would expect Rob Halford to do. Um, in this song, they're they're playing that note on the guitar as Tom Araya is, you know, uh, singing. But I feel like yeah, because God knows none of the band would be able to sing it, would they? <laughs> oh, absolutely right. Yeah, but the cool thing about it was I felt like for the tempo that Slayer set for this album, this song's not out of place at all. Oh no, no! If I didn't know that this was a Priest song, I would just assume that it was original to Slayer. Absolutely, right. and, and that it was a little more. Um, a little more rock and roll than Slayer usually plays, right? So this is another uh, yeah. this is another song that you're like, oh, this kind of could be a Metallica song, or this kind of could be another band um, type of thing. It's more of a, an accessible sound, but it fits really good with this album. And what I think it does is hits the reset button after the low point of the album for a strong finish. Because hmm. uh, see, and- I, well, hang on before we before we move on, I want to say I I I mean, hearing Slayer play covers was just weird. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, even at the time when I first heard this album, I was like, really? Judas Priest? I, I am not a huge Judas Priest fan. Uh, I like them kind of slightly less than Iron Maiden, and I'm not the world's biggest Maiden fan. I either. don't I don't even um, know who you are right now. I'm, if I could walk <laughs> I, off this podcast set right I, now. I have seen I have seen Maiden live. Uh, they are, you know, I, I respect and admire both bands enormously. Priest are from my hometown. I will... You know, hell bent for leather. I will defend them to my dying breath, but their actual music, I really can take it or leave it. You know, I again respect what they, how important they were to metal, what they did for metal, but the actual music just does not do a lot for me. And so, yeah, this song, it's it's a good cover, and like I say, I I like how it sounds. If you didn't know, you'd think it was a Slayer original, but but I just the song itself, uh, you know. <laughs> just does very little for me. Well, we're going to have to address that Judas Priest thing in a future episode, but uh <laughs> but yeah, so so and the other thing I love about this is when you hear the the sort of drum roll, the toms in Dissonant Aggressor like I was like, "Wow, Lombardo is really adding something to this song." Nope, you go back and listen to the original Priest song and you get the same thing. So and this there, is a much yeah. closer cover of that original song than I assumed that it was until I went back and listened to it again and I was like, "Holy crap." This is what this song sounded like. So so that was awesome. And to me, that sort of hit the reset button for Spill the Blood. If you, to me, sounds a lot like uh, "Seasons in the Abyss," the song, the song itself from the 1990 
album of the same name. So I feel mm-hmm. like um, there's a lot of stuff that Slayer did on this album that carried forward into Seasons in the Abyss, which I think in many ways is a is a combination of what you kind of had with Rain and Blood and, and some of the stuff that they tried on South of Heaven. But I feel like this is a strong finisher. Um, to me, it's got a great riff, and there's a great tempo change that really drives it home and uh, and I love the way that the song finishes as well. So it's not it's not going to be in my top ten Slayer songs of all time. But as a closer, I felt like when you know with Ghosts of War, Read Between the Lies, and Cleanse the Soul, I thought we were on a downward trend. Dissident Aggressor, Reverse That, and Spill the Blood finishes. Um, I think is a nice finisher for the album. I have almost exactly the opposite opinion. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is why um, we're here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this was a real, this track is always a disappointment for a final track for me. I mean, it, as a track, it's fine, but you could, you could slot this track anywhere else on this album and it would still work. It'd be fine. The album would not feel any different. Like by contrast, Raining Blood, Raining Blood itself is the ultimate closer. If that was anywhere else on the Rain album, it would change the, the feel and character of the entire album because the whole album feels like it's been building up to it and then you get that it's just you know absolute the best closer whereas this it and maybe that's because of the weak second side as it were of the album it doesn't feel like anything's been building up to this and it doesn't feel like a release of anything either i I don't know, maybe I'm weird. I like my final tracks to kind of feel like they're bringing things to a close, either by being a sort of release of energy like um, Damage Incorporated, another brilliant closer because it is such a release, like such a, you know, fast and aggressive and like, oh my God. Um, Or by contrast, on Paradise Lost album, One Second, the final track, Take Me Down, is really slow and... Uh, down tempo and kind of quite quiet and really just you know sort of depresses the whole album to an end sure um this this just doesn't feel like a closing track to me um it's fine it's not that i dis it's not that i dislike the track i I like your point of saying that it doesn't feel like anything built up to it because as as i was just and i i don't think i disagree with that sentiment because i just felt like uh dissident aggressor was sort of hitting the reset button and maybe hitting the reset button on the second to last song doesn't allow you to build up to (laughs) anything you know what i mean so so i could see exactly what you're saying in that it doesn't feel like this is a sort of natural progression through the second side it feels like to me the second side stumbles then recovers right before the end and finishes um good for me but i see what you're saying like it does it definitely doesn't feel like it's been building from the first track of this album and here's the yeah. closer well or even the first track of the second side sure yep i would agree with I that i do really like that weird atonal scale but the real tragedy is that uh, and i think it's hanneman plays that he only plays it once Yes, like it's it's brilliant, and it's played once in the entire track. If that was repeated right at the end, like almost as a coda, as the final scale, then maybe it would feel more like a you know a more fitting end and more like it was rounding things off. But yeah, I don't know. As if I say, you this cut just, that soundbite out that you just said, you could apply that to sixty percent of Slayer songs. 
Okay, so so <laughs> and honestly, I do feel like the the thing the thing that keeps Slayer from being the number one band of my big four is what you just said. I feel like in every single Slayer song, there is a moment, a note, a riff, a fill that is earth shattering, and many times it's an isolated situation. They don't play it long enough. They don't repeat it. They don't build on it. Uh, it's just kind of this thing that they throw in there, and you're like, "Holy crap, that was amazing!" And then it's gone. Which you have to kind of respect in a way. I mean, that, that's one of the reasons that their albums are so short. Even on an album like this, where the songs are much slower than most of their albums, yeah, because they don't uh, give a shit if you want that or not. That's what I love about Slayer. Yeah, They're like, dude, exactly. fuck you. We we liked that for five <laughs> seconds and then we threw it away. You'll never hear it again for the rest of your life. So just deal with it. That's we're Slayer. And they said years ago when they were talking about the fact that they made short albums, they were saying, yeah, because we just don't, we don't want to get bored, right? You know? We've, yep. we've done it, we've done it, and like, and then we'll move on to something else. Otherwise, it just gets boring. And I, I can respect that. I really can. Sure. But I think for the sake of like a, a one and a half second riff. <laughs> you <Yep. know? laughs> but there, I, there, but uh, they, Slayer's musical landscape is littered with songs where I was like, holy shit, I wish they did more of that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I wish they built on that. That was amazing. Um, so yeah, I, and I do respect it. Like you said, that they, that they just don't give a shit. Like they're going to do what they're going to do. And, they don't care if they hurt your feelings so uh well and actually that kind of okay that's a good place to bring in remember i said there were two things on that bbc2 documentary Uh that stuck with me the first one was seeing them do rain in blood live which was just you know amazing the second was elsewhere in the program uh there was an old interview with uh, one of the early incarnations of napalm death or at least with a couple of the members of the early incarnation of napalm death um with uh bill steer and shane embry so that dates it, like when Bill Steer was in the band. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, re- I literally think they were in Shane Embry's bedroom or something being interviewed because they were so young. It was brilliant. And again, uh, Napalm Death are from my hometown. They're a local band. I used to see Shane and Mitch and Jesse in like the local nightclub all the time in the 90s. That's um, awesome. Jesse Pintado used to try and like steal my girlfriend after he'd had a few drinks. <laughs> it was hilarious. Um and uh, and Bill and Shane are complaining that they're, they're talking about Napalm Death, obviously, and they're basically saying, "Well, there are certain speeds that even bands like Slayer won't exceed, but we will." Uh huh. They were really proud of that. They were really proud of the fact that, like, we're faster than Slayer. We are faster, even faster than Slayer. Um, which I love. I just love for itself, but also it ties into what you say. Slayer don't care. No, they do not care. And they they are, do not give a shit what you think. They are the bar that every thrash band measures themselves against. You can talk right. about- Even Napalm Death measured themselves against Slayer, yeah. You know, talk about the big four. You can talk about record sales. You can talk about who's more popular in the mainstream. When it comes down to it, Slayer is the heaviest of the big four bands. Everyone knows that, including all of the members of all of the other bands, and that will never change. And that's the one thing that Slayer can always rest their hat on, is they have never compromised their sound in a way that any of those other bands have. They've never stopped being Slayer. And that to me is one thing why they'll always be in the same conversation as all of those other bands, because they don't give a fuck. They There's times certainly where they have changed that sound. And, and it might be interesting to go back and listen to uh, Diabolus and Musica at one point, because that was one where they let a lot of the new metal stuff start to creep in, but it's still a Slayer album. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I have exactly the same feelings and thoughts like one of the things as i say i'm not the world's biggest slayer fan but i love and respect them because they do not care 
about what any other band is doing. They don't care about trends. They don't care about fashion or commercialism. They yep. are Slayer. They play Slayer music. And that music may change, sure, because all bands evolve. And it's, as we were saying last time with St. Anger, it's healthy for bands to evolve. But Slayer is always Slayer. Right. And even even mediocre Slayer, which I think this album is kind of mediocre, but even mediocre Slayer is still pretty fucking good. Yep. And before we wrap up, I just want to go, uh, because one of the things that I want to do on the show is if there is bands that we're talking about that we've seen live, we can just sort of, you know, comment on the times oh, that sure. we've seen yeah, them yeah. live. So I have seen Slayer, uh, to my recollection, four times live over a 20-year period. So actually a 30-year period. So the first time I ever saw Slayer was on July 7th, 1991 at Lake Compounds in Bristol, Connecticut. That was my 17th birthday. And it was the Clash of the Titans tour. So you had Alice in Chains opening for Megadeth, then Anthrax, and Slayer closed the show. Wow. To this day, even though maybe uh, performance-wise it wasn't the great, it, it will always be the greatest show I've ever been to. It was on my birthday. It was these bands together. It was uh, For Anthrax, it was Persistence of Time. For Megadeth, it was the Rust in Peace tour. And for Slayer, it was the um, Seasons in the Abyss tour. So there was a fence a chain link fence around the seats uh and then everything else was general admission it was a huge sort of valley with hills on each side that people could just put blankets on and sit on and everything like that and i remember when slayer started playing it was like a mass exodus from the hillside as everyone ran down into the valley to form a giant pit <laughs> they tore down the fences to the to the seats of course slayer doesn't stop playing uh they tore down the fences it was mass chaos down in in this uh seating area and just huge pits everywhere and i'll never forget the the you know it looked like something out of a out of a movie where you literally see armies coming over the hillside and just running down into this. And then you would just see people limping out of that valley, you know, bloodied and beaten and, you know, walking back up. So amazing show. But, but smiling. <laughs> they played uh, Mandatory Suicide and South of Heaven at that show. That's 1991. And that was the classic lineup of Hanneman and King and uh, Lombardo and Araya. Then I saw them in 2002. So 11 years later. I saw them. At wow, you didn't see them between those two dates. Nope. those two years. No. Wow. So I saw them on the Clash of the Titans tour, and then I saw them again at the House of Blues in uh, Lake Buena Vista, which is basically Orlando, Florida, uh, out by Disney World, if you can believe it. Um, <laughs> and and this is the best story. So I'm I literally I used to go down and go on a golf trip with a buddy of mine before we had kids. We used to take about five days every year, and we'd go down to Florida when the rates dropped because all the um, all the we call them snowbirds, but they're people who flee New England during the winter and go down to to Florida, and then they come back when the weather gets warmer. When they leave, all the golf courses drop their rates, and so we would go down there and take advantage of the really low prices to play golf down there. So we're driving in Lake Buena Vista, and there happens to be a house of blues there, and I look up on the marquee, and it says that Slayer is playing the following night, and I turn to my friend who had never been to a metal concert before and said, "Guess what you're doing tomorrow night." And the next thing you know, <laughs> we saw Hatebreed and Slayer at the House of Blues Orlando. That was on the God wow. Hates Us All Hate tour. Hatebreed as well. Wow. Oh, dude, it was amazing. <laughs> so the cool thing about House of Blues is that there is a second floor in the House of Blues, and it's like a, uh, a balcony that goes all the way around. So we stood up there, and when you looked down into the, the floor, there was hundreds of people forming a giant—the whole floor was a pit. And 
there was a 300-pound bodyguard in the middle of that pit with a yellow shirt on. And anytime someone would get close to them, he would basically like choke slam them, and then they the crowd would disperse a little bit and start moshing again. So, <laughs> so that was the God Hates Us All tour. And what they did on that one is they had painted um, uh, the paint that is activated by the black lights. They had painted like uh, God oh, yeah, Hates yeah. Us All all over the stage and stuff like that. So when they put the black lights on, then you you could see. Um, that stuff all over the stage and then my buddy knew what he was getting into at that point so um <laughs> so that was 20 that was 2002 they played mandatory suicide they played south of heaven as an encore there and they finished with angel of death that was their final uh oh awesome their final uh thing for the end of the night and then i saw them at the oakdale theater in wallingford connecticut eight years later in 2010 uh that was the tour where i believe it might have been megadeth slayer and testament um they were playing uh, the entire seasons in the Abyss album, so it was like an anniversary tour. So they oh, wow, right. they came out and they played uh, "World Painted Blood" and "Hate Worldwide" from the new album, um, and then they played the entirety of Seasons in the Abyss. And then as an encore, they came out and played "South of Heaven," "Rain and Blood," "Aggressive Perfector," and "Angel of Death." So they did four encore songs um, that night and just tore the freaking roof off. That was 2010, and then I just saw them in november of 2014 and they played uh with exodus and suicidal tendencies and they played three songs off of south of heaven they played mandatory suicide they played spill the blood and they played uh south of heaven they finished with angel of death that night as well um and that show was amazing and i'll say what i said before slayer uh, oh and the one thing i loved about the november show is obviously um they they did like a tribute to jeff hanneman because he he mm-hmm. passed away, um, which was really sad. Because again, the the poor dude back in 2010 got uh, necrotizing fasciitis from a spider bite. So he's he yeah. was dealing with that that affected his playing, and then what ended up killing him was cirrhosis of the liver. So obviously there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of drinking problems there too. Uh, but that was really sad when they lost him. Now Gary Holt, a a founding member of Exodus and the guy who basically writes all the music for the band and, and has carried that band for years and years now, he assumed uh, playing duties in Slayer and has been playing with them. And I saw him that night. Exodus opened that show. So Gary Holt came out and played a half an hour, 40 minute set with Exodus. And then he came back and played an hour and a half, two hour set with Slayer. And wow. so he did double duty that night and he played every note absolutely perfectly and looked like he was having an absolute ball doing it. So if, you, if you're not familiar with Gary Holt, if you're not familiar with Exodus, go dig up some of their old stuff. It's a band that Kirk Hammett was in way back in the day as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, and Kirk yeah. Hammett actually plays a solo on the new Exodus album. Um, it's re- he's such a good guitar player and he's a cool guy and it was great. it's great to see him in Slayer. Like what a, good, um, what a great guy to have step in to that band he's just a really right, what good a good fit, fit. oh yeah, such a good yeah. fit such a good fit and i hope that the new album features him contributing um because i know that he's very respectful of what slayer is and what hanneman was that he doesn't want to step on any toes he basically does whatever they ask him to do and i'm interested to see what his role in the new album is but so i've seen slayer four times over you know um Let's see, 1991 to 2014, and I think they're coming around again this summer, and I'm going to try and see them again. But if you've never seen them live, you absolutely need to. They are an amazing band live, probably the best of the big four bands live, and I cannot recommend seeing them 
live highly enough, even if they're not your favorite of the big four, because they are outstanding live. I actually haven't ever seen them live. I don't think. I, I went to quite a few festivals in the 90s, and I don't where I, they may have may might they may have played uh-huh. but i i don't remember <laughs> you know, there was alcohol involved in some of them sure. so i don't think i've ever seen them i've certainly never seen them you know at a sort of at an indoor gig where they are you know one of the major you know if not the headliners then certainly one of the major players on the bill so um because i saw ministry live at an outdoor festival and they were terrible you know and i love ministry sure but they they are not suited to an outdoor festival at three o'clock in the afternoon you know (laughs) yeah there's a Um, lot of bands that don't translate well live but slayer is not one of them slayer is freaking outstanding live oh no no ministry are great live just not in broad daylight outside you know right (laughs) it just it's not the right environment for them so i'm not sure i I genuinely don't recall if i have seen slayer at one of those but if if i did i mean they clearly didn't leave an impression i've certainly haven't seen them at an indoor well i'm sure with the new album coming out they're going to be hitting all the big tours so they're going to be going around the world and um, i'm going to guess that you'll have a chance to see them uh sometime in, in 2015 2016 so awesome all right uh so Next week, my turn. <laughs> I'm excited. But we d- we did say that we were going to do the big four first, get them out of the way. So next week, we are going to do Stomp 442 by Anthrax. I had a feeling you were going to pick Stomp 442 from Anthrax. <laughs> I'm totally it's, cool with that album. I love that album. It's my favorite Anthrax album. Uh, and it's probably their lowest selling, although maybe... Volume 8 might have sold less because I think the, the label literally went bankrupt. <laughs> sure, and Volume Eight's an interesting album in and of itself, but Stomp 442, is, yeah, I, will, yeah. I will absolutely dive into. It's not my favorite Anthrax album. I think of the John Bush era, my favorite is We've Come For You All, but I oh, am really? a huge right. John Bush fan, um, which yeah. reminds me, Armored Saints' new album just came out last week. So if you like John Bush and you miss him in Anthrax and you want to know what he's up to, he is back with Armored Saint. They released an album in 2010, and they just released a new album like a week ago. It's called Win Hands Down, and he is tearing it up just like he tore it up in Anthrax. Yeah, cool. So Stomp 442, great. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that next week. Uh, see you then. Awesome. You've been listening to Anthony Johnston and Brian Latendry thrash it out. If this is your kind of thing, please spread the word, rate us on iTunes, and support us at patreon.com slash thrash it out. With your help, we can stay completely independent and keep thrashing. If you want to get in touch, go to thrashitoutpodcast.com. Thank you, and good night.